I'm always like you, I'm kind of interested in what the title package is going to look like for a new series. Our guys do a good job, don't they? Just really excellent. So. As you can tell by the title, you know, this is kind of a different series. And in fact, uh, even as I prepared this message and, and uh, studied for it with uh, also Pastor Dion and, and we, we broke it out, uh, you know, we're, we're going to do something a little different than we normally do, and it requires a different teaching form for us as well, uh, because normally we're about life issues, we're about relational issues, you know, we're, we're about uh, things that God reveals through his stories and, and through his teaching that would help us engage our life and make a difference in things that matter. Uh, throughout this series, though, we're going to be dealing with the things that cause stumble, the things that cause confusion, the things that cause doubt in the heart of a Christian. And it's just essential that we address those things so that you can trust in the teachings, so you can trust in the lessons of life that come out of those other stories. So uh, I'm going to play professor a little bit, and I'm going to spend a lot of time by that TV and walk you through uh, some scripture and walk you through some points that uh, reveal uh, issues that have caused us to stumble. Today we're going to be talking about some of the far-fetched uh, stories that are found in the Bible that, that, that seem impossible, and, and yet they are presented as historic fact in the Scripture. Today we're going to be talking about Noah's um, ark and the flood, so uh, we should pray about this. Let's do that. Gracious Lord, we ask your favor and your blessing on this time. Uh, may the words of my mouth, what I say, may, may they just be honest and, and, and candid, and, and help me, Lord, to to say what you have revealed and help me not to uh, go beyond your word and, uh, and add my wisdom. Uh, certainly we're going to have questions. There are places where your Bible is silent. There are things that we are curious about that, that you don't think that we need to know. Uh, help us to know the difference between the truth that you reveal and the things that you don't reveal and the things that are only mere speculation. Help also the hearts of those assembled today, Lord, to to be open, uh, to listen, and uh, to receive uh, answers from your word that, that may help them with their own doubts, their own questions, and also as they interact with others. Uh, an increasing number of people in our society who are unchurched and, and who think that we are a bit simplistic in our approach. Lord, so bless my words and bless the listening of those in front of me and grant that through this process we would all be... Uh, uh, stronger in faith. This we ask in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So maybe you saw this billboard. Uh, it was uh, in St. Louis in a couple of places, and it was a national campaign by the uh, uh, Atheist Society. I, I don't know if you don't believe in something, why you spend so much time trying to disprove it. I, it seems odd to me. But uh, dear Santa, all I want for Christmas is to skip church. I'm too old for fairy tales. And, and when it comes to stories like Noah's Ark, uh, that's what a lot of people believe. And if you go and see the movies that Hollywood produces about these things, uh, you would tend to believe that that's true. You know, these things are, these things are just beyond imagination, beyond any uh, reasonable person's uh, ability to accept. You know, this is the new year, and I know in the new year, a lot of people come back to church for the first time, or, or they make New Year's resolutions. I'm going to get physically fit. You know, I'm going to diet. You know, I'm going to exercise, and I'm, I'm going to develop my spiritual life. I'm going to get my finances in order. You know, all the different things that we say. And one family had made that decision. They knew that they had been out of church for a while. They used the, the reason that their kids were too small and, and disruptive in church. And, and, and suddenly their oldest child was 10 years old. And they thought, wow, 
you know, we have neglected this part of his teaching. And so throughout the Christmas season, uh, they realized that they need to get back into church, especially for their child. And, and so they brought him to Sunday school. And he was a bit hesitant because that was outside of his experience, you know, to go to Sunday school. And they said, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And, and we'll be anxious to hear what you learn. And so after Sunday school, they debriefed over a donut somewhere. And, and uh, he said, Dad, Sunday school is so cool. He said, you won't believe it. He said, we learned a story about an Israeli special forces commando named Moses. And he was sent into Egypt to rescue some POWs from Egypt. And he organized them and they had a huge breakout. It was amazing. And he said, uh, and uh, the whole Egyptian army came after them with, with tanks and, uh, and armed troops. And uh, he said they came through some oil fields and they lit them on fire in the, in the smoke and in the confusion. The Egyptian army was delayed while other engineers built pontoon bridges across the Red Sea. And Moses uh, brought his, his uh, POWs across the pontoon bridges and the Egyptian army began to follow. And Moses radioed ahead and uh, the Israeli Air Force sent some fighter bombers in. And just when the Egyptian army was in the middle of the Red Sea, they blew them out of the water. They all fell in and drowned. His dad knew a little bit more about the Bible than his son thought. And, and he said, now, he said, uh, I'm glad that you're excited about Sunday school. I'm glad that you went. He said, but honestly, your, your teacher didn't really tell you that. He said, well, no, that, that wasn't exactly what he said. But if I told you the whopper that he laid on us, you would never believe it. <laughs> never believe it. Never believe it. You know, we're talking about some pretty far-fetched things when we talk about things like the flood, when we talk about, you know, walking across the Red Sea on dry ground. I mean, amazing things. Believers and non-believers are not connecting on matters of faith. And it's confusing to all of us. You know, in fact, it's become a subject that we hesitate to talk about. What seems perfectly logical to Christians seems by all objective standards to be absolute foolishness. To those who don't believe. And we're puzzled by that. I mean, it just seems, you know, so real to us. You know, we're convicted by our faith and by the Holy Spirit that you know, we just think everyone would, would believe and accept the fact that these things are, are true. And, and non-Christians, on the other hand, respect us, work alongside us, consider us intelligent. You know, we've gone to school with them. We work with them. They're colleagues of ours. Uh, sometimes we even lead them to resolve difficult matters at work. They have huge respect for us, and they can't believe that we could be so foolish in the simplistic notions that we believe about God, about good and evil, about faith as the ultimate solution to all of life's problems. You know, a, a few years ago, I wrote a book called uh, Contrary to Popular Belief. Because I would have person after person would, would send me a letter or, or talk to me and, and, and say, Pastor, my folks just don't believe this stuff. And how can I convince my college-age student that these stories are real and these things actually happened? And, and uh, why don't they believe? It just seems so clear. And I, what can I say to them? And my answer would be, well, say to them they're right. This is foolishness. The Bible says the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. You know, but what we believe is beyond reasonable. You know, we're about to receive the Lord's Supper. And in, with, and under bread and wine, the Lord gives us his body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins and the strengthening of our faith. How is that reasonable? 
you know, last uh, week, I think last week, I baptized like seven different people. I don't know if you saw it, but we even did an immersion out at the YMCA. It was an incredible experience. And how can you believe that, that you can take water and put it on a person and, and something spiritually happens there? I mean, it's, it's an unreasonable belief. Uh, in that book, in that prologue, I, I wrote these couple of paragraphs. Christians and their non-believing friends need to make some bold admissions. The Christian faith doesn't always make sense. Amen? Doesn't make sense to you. Doesn't make sense to me. You know, I teach it, and still I can't always explain it. I take some things just on faith. Let's go on. It is often illogical. It's incredibly simplistic, and it requires a belief in miracles, which by definition requires acceptance of the impossible. I mean, these things, when they say, that's impossible, I say, you know, you're right. It's impossible. You're a good Bible student. No one can argue any person into the faith, and Christians should cease to try. You know, it's, it's by God's word. We tell, the, we tell the stories, we tell our faith, we say, this is what I believe for me, and we expect that the Holy Spirit will do what our words and our arguments cannot do. Continues. That doesn't mean that the Christian faith cannot be defended. Now, you know, it, it requires faith in miracles, but it can still be defended. There, it's a historic faith. Let's go on. Reputable apologists, that's defenders or uh, people who explain, have shown through verifiable historic prophecy, no question, these scriptures were written before they were fulfilled, and they were fulfilled as these scriptures, which even the greatest skeptic would acknowledge preceded the event, actually occurred. And the fulfillment uh, uh, that God is as good as his word. You know, he predicted it happened. Yes, we can't deny that. And credible archaeologists have authenticated the history of the Bible over and over, often silencing skeptics who had previously argued that such battles, such people, and such cities could not be substantiated. There's no evidence those things ever happened. And then they discovered them with archaeology. The Christian faith is a historic faith. It's not like Hinduism. It's not like Buddhism. You know, it's people, times, and places, cities, and rivers, and mountains, that you can go and see if they are there. It can be verified. And the centuries are littered with evidence of those who have courageously lived out the events that the Bible describes. And, and, and yet it's, it's amazing uh, that uh, people still struggle. And I understand that people still struggle about these things. In, in fact, on Facebook, this is past week, even it, it's almost like God-ordained, you know, there was, there was a, a post on Facebook. They often post news stories now on Facebook. And one said, Noah's Ark has been discovered. Why are they keeping it from us? And I thought, here we go again. That's like Madeline Murray O'Hare, you know, is going to take, and God we trust, off our money. You know, it just, it just occurs every five years or so. And I just thought, well, I've heard this all before. Uh, by the way, I don't believe that even if they did discover it, it would change anything. I mean, people saw Jesus do miracles, and they didn't believe in him. You know, finding a piece of wood on Mount Ararat isn't going to change anybody's faith. That's not how it happens. But in response, it's interesting to see what people post in response to such an article like that. Chris McGinnis says, uh, His Majesty's Titanic, height 175 feet, length 882 feet, width 92 feet, construction steel, capacity uh, over 3,500 souls and enough provision for a couple of weeks. Noah's Ark, by contrast, smaller, height 45 feet, length 450 feet, width 75 feet, construction wood, 
And yet over 50,000 animals, 2 million insects, 7 people, and a 600-year-old captain <laughs> who had enough provisions for a year. Science has proven the myth alive for years. That's just one little percent of the facts on why the ark is a fake myth. Uh, but look at Nick down below. If you're a believer, you don't need proof. All you really need, you know, you already know the truth. You know, you know uh, facts be damned. You know, I know what I believe and what I believe is true, is, is what Nick would say. Well, let's take a look at it in the scripture. Uh, it occupies three chapters, six, seven, eight, and nine. Actually, that's four chapters, isn't it? And uh, I wasn't going to stand up here and read four chapters to you, so I excerpted uh, portions of chapters, but I do want to read and not just tell you this story so that you actually see God's word on this matter. So from 6, first of all. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled by what he saw. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race which I have created. And with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Interesting, the Lord still knows the faithful, even in the midst of unfaithfulness. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons, three sons, and your three wives with you, their three wives. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And then it happened. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits, about 25 feet above the highest mountain. Every living thing that moved on the land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swam, uh, that swarmed over the earth and all mankind Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that moved along the ground and the birds were wiped from the face of the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. As they used to say thus far the reading. Now... Uh, there are 10 points that I want to quickly make, and I'm not going to elaborate a lot, but 10 points that we can make from the Bible uh, about uh, this account based on Scripture and based on verifiable evidence. Uh, first, with variations, the biblical account of a universal flood is part of the mythology and legend of almost every culture on earth. This is a quote. Even people living far from the sea the Hopi Indians of the American Southwest, and even the Incas in Peru, uh, have legends of a great flood washing over the land, covering the tops of the mountains and wiping out virtually all life on earth. This is from uh, a book called Doomsday, The Science of Catastrophe. 
It's interesting that every culture has a story like this, has a, has a flood epic. In China, you'll find that in, in the discoveries that they've made in Mesopotamia, in the ancient cultures of, of the Persians and in the Egyptians, you have flood epics. How is that possible that cultures that apparently grew up uh, far removed from each other still have the same story if they did not have the same origin? The story varies over time as people retell any story, it varies. But all of them have this in common, which suggests that all of them have a common origin. All of them uh, came out of that experience uh, through the three sons and their wives of Noah. All of them have the same history, despite the fact that they spread over the face of the earth. Point number two. Fossil records show the remains of sea life on the highest peaks. You know, even in the Himalayas, they have discovered uh, seashells. Uh, on the highest peaks of all the mountains. In fact, there is a, a, a discovery that was made, and it, it's, uh, it was actually reported in the Chemical and Engineering News of Washington, D.C., uh, of the skeleton of a baleen well, 90 feet long, standing on its tail in the mountains of California. Now, uh, it's, it's in uh, a kind of ground uh, that has been slowly uncovered that takes, uh, they say, millions of years for it to form. Now, that whale did not stand there on its tail for a million years, you know, while, while ground slowly built around it, you know, through sediment. Uh, it could have never happened that way. It looks as though some traumatic event, you know, caught that whale in that position and quickly covered it, which would tend to lead you to believe that perhaps there was such a thing as a flood or a great shift and the mountains suddenly swept up and, and caught that animal in such a, uh, a way in which it was quickly buried and then later fossilized. Uh, so uh, clearly all ground on earth has at one time been underwater. That, that cannot be denied. The atmosphere and conditions of the earth were vastly different before the flood. In fact, you could talk about life before the flood and you could talk about life after the flood. Almost like you could talk about life before sin and after sin. The flood changed everything. Let me just point out a few of the things that changed. The lives of people before the flood were much longer. Uh, in fact, uh, it tells us in Genesis 6 verse 3, The Lord said, My spirit will not uh, contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. God saw if you, if you have enough time, uh, you, can, you, can, <laughs> you can take evil to new levels of distortion. Uh, and we know that in the chapter previous to this, that when he first uh, meets Noah, Noah is 500 years old. Uh, when the flood comes, it says Noah was 600 years old. So there was probably 100 years there in which there was uh, involvement in construction. We know in that also that same chapter of Genesis chapter 5, it lists a lot of the great patriarchs of old. And Methuselah, uh, well known to uh, even most children, uh, is the oldest living person recorded in the Bible, 969 years. How is that possible? Well, I do think conditions on earth would have uh, been more conducive to old age before the flood as opposed to after the flood. UV rays age us, and uh, I believe that the conditions before the flood uh, uh, held a lot of those UV rays back, but I don't think that that is the full explanation. I think it was a decision made by God that quickly changed the world. He was going to recreate the world, and he was going to do it in such a way that man's limitations uh, would be imposed by age. And, and so evil could not flourish to the way it had before. Uh, but uh, we do know that before the flood, uh, people lived much longer than they do after the flood. Uh, you know, Abraham lived 120 years, and that was considered old age. You know, so it changes different, uh, vastly different. 
going on. It had not rained on the earth prior to the flood. That's an interesting uh, truth. In fact, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, a mist came up from the ground and watered the surface of the earth. Before the flood came, it didn't rain. In, in fact, the whole conditions of the earth were, were tropical. I, I think the, the northern pole and the southern pole, all tropical. The whole world was tropical, you know, which, you know, similar to the movies that you've seen where dinosaurs walk through tropical jungles, I believe that the whole world was like that. I want to explain how that could be in just a minute. But we know that it just says a mist came up. You know, it was just condensation, you know, constantly like misters. You know, uh, coming up, rain had not yet fallen. So when it began to rain, that must have been uh, quite a scary and, and novel thing for people to experience. Uh, next point. The Earth's atmosphere seemed similar to a terrarium uh, prior to the flood. You know what a terrarium is? Uh, back in the day in the 70s, they were popular. Uh, people grew uh, environments in this big uh, round ball and they would uh, go in there with long tweezers and they would plant things and uh, it was a self-sustaining world and it was very tropical and people would grow these and display them in their homes. Uh, so I believe the earth existed that way which explains you know why you can find oil in desert regions today because we all know that oil is nothing but vegetation that uh, mass fields of vegetation that have been put under pressure that have created fossil fuel. And so you will find those in deserts where there is no vegetation. You'll find them in Alaska, you know, where it's too cold for vegetation. But at one time there was vegetation there and a great deal of it. Here's what it says in the Bible about creation. God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate uh, water from water. So God made the vault and he separated the waters under the vault, which were on the earth, from the waters which were above the vault. You know, this, this huge bubble that the world was encased in. And it was so. God called the vault sky. You know, the sky. And then there was this huge water uh, surrounding the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. That's what the scripture says. And uh, I believe that, that would have created a very different earth than the one we experience now. The flood then came in three sources of water. You say, how could possibly 40 days of rain cause the earth to, uh, to flood and to cover all the mountains? Well, it wasn't just rain. Uh, it says that water came up out of the ground, great sources of water underground. Uh, the whole vault above the sky that created a very thick atmosphere, unlike the one that we now have. Uh, and also rain uh, came. So here's how it says it in the Bible. It says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So the floodgates were opened, all that water came down, all the water came up, and it also rained uh, for 40 days and for 40 nights. So we know that the Bible describes a condition that we have never ever experienced since then. Now, after the flood, uh, we know that Noah came out of the ark and he built an altar to God for sparing his family. And uh, God put a rainbow in the sky and he promised that he would never destroy the earth like he had until the final judgment. Uh, here's how it's described in the Bible. Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals, he took seven of all the clean animals, only two of every other kind of animal, and clean birds, and he sacrificed burnt offerings on that altar. And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, and he said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of the humans. You know, they can't help themselves. They're sinful by nature. Uh, every inclination of their heart is evil from childbirth. 
even the best of us, you know, are not perfect and uh, far from it. Never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So after the flood, God has promised that there will not be a destruction like that again until Christ returns. Also, uh, after the flood, it's clear that worldwide geographical evidence suggests that water shaped our land. Uh, If you've traveled at all and you've been to coastal regions, uh, you know that uh, there is an appearance as, as the coast goes down to meet the land, there are these coastal shelves that indicate that water has receded and it used to be much higher than it is. In fact, even our Mississippi River Valley or the Missouri River Valley, in places it's 10 miles wide. Uh, certainly that river has never been that big, except perhaps when the floodwaters receded and shaped these huge channels, and now we have a river that's just a few hundred yards wide flowing down the middle. But the Mississippi River Valley, you could stand on one uh, huge ridge and walk, uh, see all the way across to another ridge. Uh, water has never been that great. Even the, uh, even the Grand Canyon, I propose, is, is probably... Uh, better explained as being uh, caused by forces of water rather than uh, an ice age, which um, some scientific people believe, which is also pure speculation. So worldwide geographical uh, evidence suggests that water shaped our land. Uh, Finally, the last point. The total days in the ark, if you add them all up, you know, when land was first discovered until he finally came out and uh, offered his sacrifice were 370 one days. That's, that's what we know from the biblical account. There are other things, but those are 10 of, the, 10 of the more obvious things that I wanted to point out. Now, let me just point out there are some things that we don't know. Some things about the flood that we don't know and, and get in trouble when we speculate about. Uh, these are <laughs> everything else. You know, and and this, is, this is what is a bit annoying for me to, to go and see these movies. I don't know if you've seen this one about Moses right now that's out there, Gods and Kings. Uh, I went to see it. I just have to see it, you know. And, and uh, you know, rather than, rather than be faithful to the biblical account that says Moses took a vase full of water and he poured it into the Nile and the whole Nile became blood, uh, they have God rather causing crocodiles to eat people and eat things and create blood in the water, which creates flies, which, you know, they have to find reasonable ways to explain miracles. It's a miracle! <laughs> You know, why does God have to have some reasonable way to create a miracle? You know, it, it's amazing to me that some people say, well, I believe that God created the world, but I don't believe he did it in seven days. Like, you know, I, I think he could do that, but I think he would need more time, like maybe a thousand years, you know, or so. So uh, it's a miracle. Why, I mean, take nothing and make something anyway. Why does it take you know, some reasonable explanation. And in that movie also they show, you know, how the tornadoes came and caused the waters to separate and therefore the, the children of Israel escaped through sloshy puddles of water. It says they went on dry ground. You know, it, it's, a miracle. it's impossible to believe this anyway. Yeah, here are some things that we don't know. Did the animals hibernate? I don't know. I don't know. How did they survive a year in the ark? I don't know. You know, if you go to the Sight and Sound Museum down in Branson, they'll tell you about that. But otherwise, I don't know. Did dinosaurs survive the flood? I don't know. I know that reptiles grow as long as they live. They never stop growing. In fact, you can tell the age of a reptile by how big it is. Uh, if, if, if Methuselah lived 969 years, imagine a lizard that lived that long. I don't, I don't know. I don't, it's just pure speculation. 
did Moses hire, or did Noah hire people to help build the ark? I don't know. I, I would think he probably did. Uh, he was at it for uh, probably about 100 years. Later in the scripture, this story is mentioned often. Let's not forget and let's remember what I said to begin with. And I think it's good to come back and touch on that. Christians and their non-believing friends need to make some bold admissions. The Christian faith doesn't always make sense. There's a lot about this story that I don't know. And the Bible is silent. It is illogical, incredibly simplistic, and requires a belief in miracles, which by definition requires acceptance of the impossible. It's okay with me. If you struggle to believe in the flood, let me tell you about a virgin who gave birth to a baby. Let me tell you about a man who was put into a tomb and three days later he came out. Or that he raised somebody who had been dead four days and was in a tomb and his folks said, don't bring him out, he's going to smell, he's been in there a long time. And he brought Lazarus out of the tomb. Our faith is based on belief in miracles. So it doesn't create a lot of difficulty for me uh, to believe in the impossible. I, I know that there are parts of the story that just seem impossible. People would say that's impossible. And I say, you're right. You know, it is impossible. I believe my God can do impossible things. Do you have any other questions? You know, just, just like that. You know, uh, what are some lessons that we can learn? Just six quick things from this. And, and uh, I think it's important. As we uh, take apart this story, uh, six things that, that we can learn from the, from the flood. Point number one, don't fear the destruction of the world by any means other than the final judgment of God. It says, until the end of time, seed time and harvest, fall, spring, winter will continue to roll around. I don't worry as some people worry about nuclear disaster. I, I do believe that there have been uh, disasters. There have even been man-caused disasters. Uh, there have been tsunamis that have destroyed, you know, huge uh, groups of people. Those things will occur, but the destruction of the earth will come only at God's time, not at man's decision, and it will be at the hand of God. Secondly, some would ask, you know, how could God possibly judge the earth in this way? My question is, how could he possibly spare anybody? We're all guilty, and if God is perfect and cannot coexist with the imperfect, why didn't he just destroy us all? But there's something compassionate about God uh, who believed in his creation and wanted to see his creation flourish. And and so he decided to spare a family and from that family uh, reestablish his world. So rather than ask, how could he do that? Ask, how could he save anyone? Uh, Three, don't expect Christianity to grow in popularity. You know, some people believe that by electing the new president, a better Congress or Supreme Court, or by America standing up for God and country, that the world will become a better place. Jesus himself said, in the last days you will be handed over and persecuted and put to death because of your faith. You will be hated by all nations. ISIS should not surprise us. The beheading of Christians should not surprise us. These conditions have been foretold even by the Lord himself because uh, of me. It's like the days of Noah when people mocked the truth about God. So they do today. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. Even Christians will turn away from the faith and say, you know, this just seems to be dangerous and unnecessary and I'm not so sure it's true. And will be betrayed and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus himself predicted 
things are not going to get better, folks. You know, that's why we brace ourselves. That's why we come to church. That's why we live the six. That's why we do our 15 minutes every day in the Word of God because we're living in harsh conditions. We're living in unpopular faith in a, in a time that mocks what we believe. Uh, next point. The majority doubted Moses' prediction, uh, Noah's prediction. They, they doubted even though he preached throughout the construction of the ark. They mocked him and thought he was a fool for doing it. The majority will also doubt Christ's second coming. In fact, uh, Peter makes a direct reference to Noah's flood in, in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. These are the last days. All the signs are there. Uh, all has been fulfilled. The Lord could come at any time. Scoffing and following their evil desires, they will say, where is this coming that he promised? Hogwash. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it always has from the beginning of creation. Nothing ever changes. Those are just stories. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. They forget God already promised to judge the world and God did judge the world. He's going to do it again. By the same word, the present heavens and the present earth are being reserved for fire. Being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. That day will come. Just because it appears to be delayed does not mean it won't come. Just as Noah preached, the day will come. Then, um, people will be surprised by Jesus' return. You know, there's a scripture that says, Surely in the flood of great waters he will not be found. When it began to rain, when the rivers began to swell, when the deeps opened, and when the sky fell on them, everybody believed. But it was too late. As in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people just kept on eating and drinking, thinking, these Christians are crazy people. They were marrying and giving in marriage right up until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the second coming of the Son of Man. There will not be this great revival. There will not be people begging to know more about God. You know, they will be ignoring the Lord right until the end as they did during the days of Noah. And this is kind of interesting. God compares baptism to the flood. Uh, this is in 1 Peter chapter 3. God waited patiently in the days of Noah. Noah preaching the entire time while building the ark. Huge object lesson to the people. What are you doing there, Noah? Building an ark. There's going to be a flood. God's going to judge the world. It's not too late. You could still believe. You're crazy. While Noah was building the ark, God was being patient. And in that ark, it turned out only a few people, eight, were saved. Noah's, his wife, his three sons and their wives. And this water is somewhat like baptism that saves you also. Not by removal of dirt from the flesh, but by an appeal to God, trusting in his promises, the Bible says. By passing through the waters, Noah was saved. You know, by passing through the waters of baptism, we have what the scriptures say. You know, forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, uh, it's time to wrap this part of it up. But let me just close with uh, this picture of a man uh, who is considered maybe the great scient greatest scientist of all time, Isaac Newton. Uh, Isaac Newton uh, lived in the 17th century. Uh, in England. Uh, he had rudimentary scientific instruments and, and yet made incredible discoveries about motion, about gravity, and how gravity affected the tides, the moon, even the planetary system. 
uh, he developed the first uh, reflective telescope so that he could study the heavens. An incredible ability uh, in his time and in his era. And, and uh, most of his friends were not believers, but he was. And uh, on one, one occasion, he commissioned uh, a, a, a toy uh, to describe the solar system. And he put the sun in the middle, and he put the planets, all the planets that he knew about. There are nine of them, if you count Pluto, but he probably couldn't see nine of them with his, with his uh, rudimentary telescope. But the ones that he could see, he understood how they moved around the earth. And as you crank the crank, maybe you've seen one of these, uh, these things were on wires, and they moved around the sun. And, and one of his friends came in and, and saw this instrument that he had made. And he begged Isaac Newton, where'd you get that made? I want to have one of those. That's extraordinary. What, you, what you've done is extraordinary. It's, it's incredible. They move at different speeds just like it is in the solar system. And he said, where'd you get that made? He said, no one made it. He said, I know that you designed it, Isaac. I know that you did that. But who made it for you? I would like to commission one for myself. He goes, no, it just showed up. No one made it. He goes, I know somebody made it. Just give me the name of the man who made it. He says, it's amazing to me that I cannot convince you in this childish toy that no one made it. And yet it's only a facsimile of the great universe that we live in. And you think no one made that. (laughs) How can you possibly believe that this must have a creator and this does not? You know, what's the alternative? If you don't have faith, if you don't believe in God, how do you explain these things then? The Bible describes our faith in this way, in Hebrews 11. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. Confidence in things that are coming. I believe the Bible, the authenticity of prophecy, the authenticity of archaeology, I believe it. Uh, It's the confidence in things that we hope for. If that's true, then what it says is true. And it's assurance about things that we cannot prove. It's just, I believe it. Um, That is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed. God said, let there be land, let there be animals, let there be birds in the air. By God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of evolution, not out of things that pre-existed. Not made out of anything visible, but only by the word of God. That's what the Bible says faith is. That's what faith requires. What's the alternative? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot to swallow, and, and Christians should not try to defend, but just admit that, yeah, what we believe is impossible, but I believe you're a God who does impossible things. Next question. Uh, help us, Lord, to, uh, uh, to study these things and to understand uh, the things that you have revealed and, and to just be okay with the things that you've not revealed, to have peace about that. We pray this in Christ Jesus. Amen.